0: So there you are listening to One Person's Trash is Our Treasure. I'm your host Rachel and I'm your other host Jen. Today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite shows of all time, Legend of the Seeker.
1: Oh, Rachel. Why 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 did you want to talk about this show, Ray? <laughs> I wanted to talk about it because as I said it's one
0: of my favorite shows of all time, but also because I think that there's a lot going on in the show that could warrant <laughs> a good discussion, but maybe more importantly, I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I wanted an excuse to force you to finally watch it.
1: <laughs> That's kind of where I was going with that question. <laughs> yeah, and finally watch it, I did, and yep. I had a grand old time.
0: Yeah, so all that time, you were just denying yourself I know. a great show.
1: I I was a fool. Um, I really did enjoy watching this show. So if you enjoy fantasy, action, adventure, kind of fun things, and there aren't a lot of of that kind of thing out there, this is a really good one, and um, and you should check it out before you before you listen to the podcast. Definitely. So if you
0: enjoy listening to us, please uh, subscribe and. You'll get to listen to all of our future episodes and be <laughs> notified of when we post, which is every other Monday.
1: Yeah. And if you enjoy listening to us so much that you just can't get enough, you can find us on our social media. We're on Twitter at Optiot. That's O P T I O T. And we're also on Instagram at Optiot
0: Pod. You can also find us on our website, person's trash is our I guess that's it for now. Enjoy the episode! Yeah! <laughs>
1: so stupid.
0: We're so awkward. I know, what's wrong with us? So, you finished the show. I finished the show. I, first of all, just want to know your overall thoughts, because for listener context... I've been really into the show, Legend of the Seeker, for several years, and whenever I talked about it, Jen <laughs> did a lot of eye-rolling and um, scoffing and dismissed the show quite a bit, yeah. so... Uh, I don't know why. I didn't... I
1: had no reason to. I was just like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Something Rachel likes. <laughs> kind of. Which, Ouch! <laughs> no, it, which is nonsensical because, you know, most of the things that you recommend to me, I eventually love. Like, you mm-hmm. you tried to get me to watch Merlin for forever, too, a show which I think shares a lot of DNA with Legend of the Seeker. Yeah. And, um, and I, for, like, a really long time was like, no, ew, I'm not going to watch that. I don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm. And then finally I broke and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And so, Anne with an E and mm-hmm. Handmaid's Tale. Well, both of those I was going to watch anyway, but (laughs) you kind of forced me to watch both of them. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it a lot. It's very campy. Yeah. Very. Mm -hmm. I feel like before we watched the first episode together, Mm -hmm. you warned me and you said, it's like Christopher Eccleston era Doctor Who level of, like, campy and, like, Mm -hmm. effects-wise and stuff. Yeah. And I felt very much like that was an apt comparison. Mm-hmm. There were some episodes where I was like this really feels like a Russell T Davies era Doctor Who episode. Yeah. And that aspect of it I actually really liked. Overall I I very much enjoyed it. And like we've had conversations before about how there aren't a lot of high fantasy action adventure like television shows and it's it's really really nice to like have one to watch. It definitely scratches that itch, I think. Yeah. Which is great. The yeah. lore runs deep in this show. It does.
0: It immerses you right away.
1: Yeah. Which is yeah, something I,
0: that I like and I know that it for you at, the, at least in the first episode it was a little inaccessible.
1: I struggled with it at first, which is weird because I definitely love being th- that kind of thing where it like drops you into it. Like um one of my favorite games of all time is the Mass Effect series and in the first game, I mean when you experienced this when you started mm-hmm. it, it was like what is happening? Yeah. Because they throw all these terms at you and you don't know what it means. And like that was kind of similar, but I did find it slightly less accessible than I usually do in Legend of the Seeker. Because it is a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of it is a little silly. Like, the main villain is named Darken Rall. Mm-hmm. Which, can we talk about the ridiculousness of his dad fathering a son, naming him Darken, and then being surprised when he turns out to be evil? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think I struggled in the beginning, but I really learned to love several of the characters. By the time I was reaching the end of it, they only got two seasons. They were um canceled abruptly i think like you said and when i was reaching the end of it i was like oh it sucks yeah that there isn't more of it so if you haven't seen legend of the seeker
0: and you don't plan on watching it and just want a little bit of context for our conversation Mm -hmm. it's a show it aired on abc in 2008 from 2008 to 2010 i think
1: it's based on a series of novels called the sword of truth by terry goodkind and
0: it's about a it's basically yeah (laughs) it's basically the chosen one trope mm-hmm. um there's this guy who lives in this fantasy world but he is in a part of this fantasy world that has been like sectioned off from the rest of the world and there is no magic in his area this woman shows up and she's desperately looking for something called the seeker because there's a war going on in her part of the world there's this evil guy named Darken who is this <laughs> um evil tyrant who's taking over the world mm-hmm. And uh, she needs to find this person called the Seeker to stop
1: him. Who is prophesized to defeat Rawl.
0: Yes. And turns out this guy that she runs into is the Seeker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they meet up with a kooky old guy.
1: Who talks to chickens.
0: Yep. And his name is Zedekis
1: Zulzerander. Which, okay... <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, where sometimes the shit in this show is like, this is a joke. Because, <laughs> because that is his name. <laughs> he's a wizard. Of the it ter- First Order. It, which turns out that he's, like, the most powerful wizard, like, in the world or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it, that's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. So... And so basically, Zedekus zulzarander they call him Zed, which thank God they do. Um, (laughs) He saved Richard when he was a baby, when Lord Rahl heard about the prophecy that the seeker would defeat him and brought him to this land. And now the three of them must go on a quest to defeat Darkenral and and save the Midlands. Mm -hmm. And that's the show. Yeah. Yeah. The only other
0: thing you might need to know is that the woman who sets out to find Richard, the Seeker, Mm -hmm. her name is Kaylin, and she is something- My daughter. (laughs) And she is something called a confessor, which is one of the most unique-
1: Forms of magic.
0: Yeah, forms of magic that I've Personally seen yeah, in definitely. fantasy before. Yeah. Basically she if she touches someone and releases her confessor power. Yeah. She can basically turn them into her slave. Her slave. Yeah. yeah. Like her willing slave. Yeah. And that can only be erased when she dies. hmm So it's a really interesting power that she has. That she
1: can't reverse. Yeah. And it's for life. Mm-hmm. And we will go way more into that because that is kind of our topic. Our topic is kind of the feminism of Legend of the Seeker and the different types of groups of women in it.
0: Yeah, and I'm interested to hear now that you've finished the show, mm-hmm. do you agree with me that it's actually a pretty feminist
1: show? I do. Yes, I do. Okay, good. <laughs> cool. All right, all done. Yeah, okay,
0: episode <laughs> over. Um,
1: <laughs> so... Before we
0: get into that, though, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. So we've done episodes on a lot of science fiction. Yes. And I think that in general, the media that is most easy to find right now, as far as like you know, high concept things go, Mm -hmm. is science fiction.
1: Yeah. Or urban fantasy.
0: Sci-fi is really hot right now. And I'm not complaining. I love sci-fi. Yeah, totally. Um, Obviously, alien romance is like my thing. Love aliens, love robots. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, yeah, gimme, gimme. So apart from Game of Thrones, this awful show that I would not recommend to anyone called The Chronicles of Shannara, and basically this show. I can't personally think of any other high fantasy television shows.
1: Like within the last decade? Because there are other high fantasy television shows.
0: Oh, Merlin. Yeah, yeah. There's just not really a lot of high fantasy media overall.
1: Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. i yeah. just going to keep saying, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like when it comes to that kind of, like, mm, high fantasy magic kind of thing, the default is campiness. Mm-hmm. It seems like the only show that has gotten around that is Game of Thrones. And I'm not saying that, like, it has to be or that, like, Game of Thrones is, like, the only one that could do it. I'm just saying that, like, the perception is there. And I mm-hmm. feel like maybe, like... I don't know networks or whoever like don't want to take a chance on something that they don't think people will like because people will look at it and go oh that's that looks campy and, and dumb you know what i mean yeah i feel like that's the the default perception of something that like has magic and like sorcerers and mm-hmm. you know what i mean there are some episodes specifically in season two of this show that if i had caught it on TV and Mm -hmm. like seen a little bit, the the wrong bit, I would have been like, ugh, dumb. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know. I also think that part
0: of the reason that maybe there is not as much high fantasy as there is sci-fi is because the budget. You know, yeah. I mean, how expensive is Game of Thrones? Yeah. You know, and yeah, totally. even the first season dragons from Game of Thrones and the second season dragons, they don't look as good as they did already. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that fantasy is going to be a little more dependent on CGI. Mm-hmm. And also there's the whole like, you know, you need horses. and <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like villages that you have to build. and Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Whereas with sci-fi, you know, you could get decent sci-fi in the 70s without CGI at all, pretty much.
1: Well, it's also dependent on an audience who's willing to forgive some of that, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. weirdly enough, I mean, Legend of the Seeker was on ABC, and so is Once Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm sorry, but some of the fucking effects in that show look like garbage, and that was really popular for a long time.
0: Oh, yeah. So... Well, that's the thing. There's absolutely an audience for this type of stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, I I don't know why Legend of the Seeker
1: wasn't renewed again. I could see how it maybe didn't do as well as they wanted it to for, like, budgetary reasons. And also, you know, maybe it was hard to grow an audience when if you jumped into it, it might have seemed a little inaccessible, Mm -hmm. you know, like... And this is before the days of, like, streaming and everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, it ended in 2010.
0: I don't know how active it is anymore, but there was a pretty voracious campaign called Save Our Seeker that people were really invested in to try to get, you know, Legend of the Seeker picked up again. Yeah. I mean, it
1: hasn't... (laughs) produced anything yeah. so far. When, when was that? Like back when it was first canceled or more recently?
0: Uh, I, I think it was back when it was first canceled, but I think it was still pretty active for a few years after. Wow. Because I didn't get into the show until a few years after it was canceled
1: right, either. And yeah. I still remember people being like, oh my god, let's make this happen, you know? Yeah. Which it does seem like something that maybe Netflix might be interested in nowadays, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer because like it's, it's almost like this show as campy as it is and, uh, you know, the, the bad effects and whatever, like, it almost seems like it was, like, a little before the time when it could have really flourished.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I feel like there would definitely be more of an audience available to it now, mm-hmm. which is really interesting and sucks. <laughs> I know. It really does. We've talked about this before. Um, you
0: know, my aesthetic is more fantasy mm-hmm. and yours is more sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I think that part of the reason that my aesthetic strays more is because I think that fantasy has traditionally been a little more accessible to women. That's true. And I think fantasy offers more opportunity to female characters traditionally, you know? I mean, at the core of fantasy, you know, like fairy tales, is the princess locked in the tower, Mm -hmm. you know? And even if that's all she is, there's still things you can do with that. Yeah. And there's also, like, witches, and, Mm -hmm. you know, as this show demonstrates, you can do a lot with magical women.
1: Yeah, and also in recent years, you know, like, uh, the idea of a princess or a queen has become more powerful than Mm -hmm. just a a princess or a queen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Khaleesi and Guinevere in Merlin and, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Like, we're starting to treat women in medieval fantasy and royalty as more powerful than we used to, which is really great and it's something I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. Now give me a space princess. Yeah. Who's kick-ass and awesome. You know, and occasionally
0: you see female-dominant sci-fi like alien romance novels. <laughs> hey. I think we are starting to see more female-centered uh, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. And as well as the new Star Trek.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I, could, I could keep going. The Battlestar reboot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Mass Effect. But that's because I think of uh, Shepard as being female. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's starting. But obviously, I, I, I totally agree with you that like fantasy, as far as women depicted in the genre uh is ahead of sci-fi feminism wise yeah so let's talk about the feminism of legend of the seeker (laughs) yeah okay at this point go watch the show if you're interested in it it's a really really fun show and it's really interesting the lore is really interesting and we are about to delve deep into it so if you don't want to be spoiled for that kind of thing go watch it and come mm-hmm. back to listen to our very fun discussion. Absolutely. Also, even though the show can be campy, it still has serious moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Genuinely serious moments. There are parts of the show that can get very dark. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that I love about it, that it has a bit of a balance. Yeah. You know, like there are episodes that are just pure fun. Super silly. And then there are episodes that are really dark and heart-wrenching.
1: Where I say out loud, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Spoilers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Other than the confessors, another group of women in the show are called the Mord Sith. The Mord Sith are basically an army of fighters who have certain magic abilities of their own that are given to them through their training. Mord Sith are not born, they're made, Lord Rawl kidnapped young girls from their villages and brought them to be tortured and broken until they served him. <laughs> super, super fucked up, really upsetting, super unfortunate implications. But there's like this army of women who serve Lord Rawl and... <laughs> When I watched the first episode with uh, a Mord Seth in it, I was very put off at first because the first time they showed her, I was like, fantasy dominatrix? Mm -hmm. They wear all this like entire suit of red leather Mm -hmm. and they have their uh, hair up in these high braided ponytails and they're fantasy dominatrixes.
0: Yeah. And they literally carry around these giant leather dildos that scream.
1: Yeah. Like... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're called the
0: They have a magic in them where it just causes excruciating pain to the point where
1: if you hit someone in the heart with one of them, they die. They they can die. Yeah. yeah. So those are the Mord Sith. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are the two groups I feel like we're going to be focusing on the most. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that in this show, especially in season two, there are so many fight scenes that are entirely women, Mm -hmm. (laughs) except for, like, the main character and Zed, the wizard. Yeah. In season one, there are more, like, armies of men, the the Daharans, they're called. Um, Um, Dark and Rawls soldiers. Yeah. They're called the Daharans. Yeah. In season two, they aren't around as much, and there is kind of a new enemy. Me called the sisters of the dark there are the mm-hmm. sisters of the light and then the sisters sisters of the dark who were sisters of the light and then they turned away from the light mm-hmm. again it's all very like the names are yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, uh quick interjection
0: uh it is based on the books which are true high fantasy novels and yeah. if you're unfamiliar with high fantasy literature it's campy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't always translate perfectly to screen without being campy. Without
1: sounding ridiculous. Yeah. Like it, it Zedicus doesn't kiss Zool <laughs>
0: They don't always come across as super campy while reading, but you know. Yeah. So that's just a quick interjection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: If you can like get around it, it's, it's fine. So yeah, there are, uh, the Sisters of the Light, which is this group of all women. I don't really know why they're all women. They didn't really go into it in the show. I don't think. Not that I remember.
0: No, you I don't think they did. I think you're right.
1: But they are and they fight with these things called dakras that are kind of like giant throwing stars and they have they have uh, magic in them too. They're not exactly like witches or anything but they do have a certain kind of magic in them it's kind of like holy magic they're kind of like priestesses. yeah although you don't really see any of them do any healing or whatever but if they throw the dakra at you this is like the one super interesting like magical thing about them is that if if they throw the dakra at you and it is in you only a sister of the light or a sister of the dark can remove it without it killing you and then there are like characters who aren't a part of any, like, specific group, but they are uh, women who are, like, kind of powerful in their own way. Like, there's a witch named Shota mm-hmm. who's really interesting, and I kind of wish we had gotten to see more of her in season two. Yeah, And there is a character named Jensen who is completely immune to all types of magic and therefore feared by those who wield it, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, and I love her, and she's my daughter. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that's basically an overview of, like, the most prominent women in the show, I think.
0: I... Was all about the confessors. The yeah. second I started the show, I think that they are so interesting. I absolutely believe that their powers are a commentary on the way the patriarchy <laughs> <laughs> thinks about women. Mm-hmm. You know, I,
1: I think both groups are yeah are so either
0: side of the coin of the way that our society you're, kind of thinks about women. You're
1: referring to the confessors and the Mortseth. I yes. absolutely agree with you. I mean. You said this to me before. I kind of really got into the show, and um, I was a little confused ab- about it. I don't know. I, like, they're even wearing like confessors traditionally wear white, and Mortseth can t- traditionally wear red. Yeah. And couldn't could there be a more obvious visual representation of like that kind of like the two sides of feminism, yeah, femininity like the, that the, are the expected Madonna of and the you? whore?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that that I really feel like that's kind of what the two groups are. Supposed the Jackie to- and the Marilyn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's
1: what the two groups are
0: supposed to represent, the yeah, Madonna totally. and the whore. Mm-hmm. And the confessors are obviously the Madonna. You know, they are viewed by society. They're on a pedestal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So whenever Kaylin comes into town, there's always people who who flock to her and they're like, oh, confessor, please. Help us. Help you're, us, you know. You're
1: so good and great. And don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, she is. She's an angel.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. I love her so much. Yeah. But, like, they don't know her, you yeah. know? It's just the reputation of confessors. Mm-hmm. But as we see throughout the show, confessors can be fucked up, yeah. you know? Like, well, there and, are... Well,
1: and, like, and men tend to fear the confessors. Like, the Jaharans yeah. the especially. Like, when Kaelin comes into to battle and the Jaharans see her, they're like, oh shit, mm-hmm. don't let her near you. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, exactly. it, she's a huge threat in that way because, yeah. like... She can make them her willing slaves. And, mm-hmm. like, you're completely right in that, like, that is definitely, like, a metaphor for, like, her wielding her sexuality against them or something. Like, yeah, you exactly. Know, yeah, yeah. Like,
0: I I saw a freaking Dr. Phil tweet the other day. A literal,
1: doc- like, a literal tweet from Dr. Phil?
0: I mean, maybe someone faked it.
1: I- oh, I just
0: saw it on Reddit that someone took a screenshot of Dr. Phil's tweet. Okay. And it said, um, men, watch out this summer. Don't let a $10 sundress trap you into years of thousands of dollars of child support what the fuck yeah that is so fucked up and you should have seen the comments in the reddit thread it was like it Yikes. was all like you know oh those sundresses are dangerous oh God, protect even... yourselves men that that's what i think Kaylin represents in this show yeah you know like that equal parts oh it's beautiful but it's
1: dangerous yeah you know? yeah, yeah but also like like you said people flock to her and they don't know her like when we did our episode on gothic novels and Crimson Peak and we talked about the different types of female character who are traditionally mm-hmm. in gothic literature, we talked about how there's like the, 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 virgin. the virgin and yeah. the whore, like the, yeah. the virtuous and innocent side of what a woman is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's also the confessors versus the Mord Sith who look like fantasy yeah, and who literally are meant to serve their lord and master in every way including sexually. There were times when, like, a Mord Sith would proposition the main character, and that made me really uncomfortable because I'm really uncomfortable with using sexuality as a form of proving that a female villain is evil. Mm-hmm. Like, there, that's such a rampant trope where, like, if there's a female villain, she is oversexual and will proposition the, like, hero of the show. Yeah. And it is always icky and gross. In a way that's, like, you're supposed to hate her because, like, oh, that's so gross that she like she wants to be sexual. And, like, it's a sign of evil, mm-hmm. which is, like, really upsetting. But I don't think that the Mord Sith ultimately are trapped by that. I think the trope is um, subverted in a certain way. You know, as we explained, you find out that the Mord Sith are kidnapped as children and tortured until they're basically brainwashed. I mean, mm-hmm. they're... They're victims, which could be problematic in its own way, but ultimately they are humanized through a Mordeth who becomes a main character in season two, named Kara, who is mm-hmm. also my daughter, and she has never done anything wrong ever. I'm so glad you like Kara. I I would die for her.
0: Yeah, because when you watched the season finale for season one, and w- which is where Kara Kara first appears. Mm-hmm. And I remember initially you were afraid that she would be a rival for Richard and Kaylin's relationship and also...
1: Not necessarily a rival. Like, I I try to stay away from doing that thing where it's like, oh, you could threaten my ship. I'm going to hate that character. You know what I mean? I just just try to stay away from that. But I am unbelievably uninterested in the trope where, like, if the characters in love, like, can't be together for whatever reason, then Mm -hmm. there's, like, a temptation. Like, on, uh, on either side for the man or the woman or whatever. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm very uninterested in that kind of storyline where there's like a temptation kind of a, like you could be with like me or whatever. Yeah, I'm absolutely uninterested in that as well. Yeah. Thank you for quelling my fears and that 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 didn't happen before Mm -hmm. I started season two because I was really like, I was really turned off by it. She propositions him Yeah. at one point.
0: Yeah, I think that in another show, she
1: would have been...
0: Yes, a temptation, I think so, yeah. You know, and I think that the creators
1: of the show knew they, better. Yeah, they t- definitely took her in a direction that was far more interesting, far better for the show as a whole, far better for the messaging of their, the show's feminism and the Mord Sith. Mm-hmm. And she's an angel and I love her and she's never done anything wrong. That's so untrue, but but it's true to me. God, how do we explain Kara? It involves alternate universes. And (laughs) (laughs) so
0: Kara plays a huge part in the season one finale as Mm -hmm. i mentioned before and in that finale she actually um, has to team up with richard to save the world Mm -hmm. and through that experience she kind of develops a loyalty loyalty to him a a respect of him and and eventually that turns into a loyalty to him when her master dark is killed and um the Mord sith
1: don't really have anyone to turn to for direction. Something about this experience for Kara, I don't know. Again, it's like really interesting. It's really Mm -hmm. hard to explain um, because Kara doesn't seek him out at first. Like, she was perfectly willing to just, like, hang out with the rest of the um, Mord Sith. Yeah. <laughs> but she was kind of, like, their leader because she was, like, the most loyal of Dark and Rawls Mord Sith. So she she kind of, like, takes control of the situation and mm-hmm. is, like, kind of, like, running the temple that that group of Mord Sith is in. But basically, a coup attempt is led by a Mord Sith played by Charisma Carpenter, which was fun, who <laughs> was in Buffy and Angel. Oh. And they basically cast Kara out. They cut off her ponytail And like, leave her to like die in the woods or whatever.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, there's like a reason why she gives her loyalty to Richard, apart from her predisposed loyalty because of their experience together. Mm
1: -hmm. But well, it turns out that, surprise, surprise, Richard and Dark and Rall are brothers. Yeah. They share the same father. And that makes Richard the new Lord Rall. Mm -hmm. But I think that's just like a reason that Kara is like hiding behind. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, Kara is a main character for season two, and she travels with Richard and Kaylin and Zed on their quest to seal the rift to the underworld and defeat the Keeper, (laughs) who's basically the devil. This show is (laughs) a little silly sometimes. There there are things in this show that I wish that they took more time with. I wish they had taken a little bit more time with Kaylin and Richard's relationship. I really like them together, but I wanted it to be a slower burn. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to just simmer for a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, That's al- fair. Although I do think it's it's very nice how, like, they're together, but they're not. Like, in, in all of season two, like, they're a couple, but they're not. But they mm-hmm. are. But they're not. And I think their relationship is so healthy. Yeah. You soon. know? And it's relieving. They're both like, really good people. But in a way that is, like, not annoying. hmm <laughs> The men in this show, the good ones, you know, the the ones who aren't, like, dark and raw or whatever, mm-hmm. they're very, like, supportive of of women. And just by nature of of the role that women play in the world, like, how all confessors are female and that kind of thing, like, it doesn't feel like there's the same kind of women are weak kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there is one gendered slur thrown in this show. I mean, Cailin gets called a witch a yeah, lot. But that's... I'll let that slide. The we it is a fantasy show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't think anybody ever calls anybody a whore or a slut. Am I wrong? I could be wrong. I don't remember that. But I mean, maybe that's a good sign. Oh yeah.
0: You know, like there was never a moment where we were like, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Never a moment where I was like made uncomfortable because they were just yeah. like Yeah. If you're familiar with um Xena,
0: Warrior mm-hmm. Princess or The Legend of Hercules the old live action show from the 90s that was a crossover show with Xena. Mm-hmm. Legend of the Seeker was made by the same guy, mm-hmm. Sam Raimi, I think it's pronounced. It might be Raimi. He also made the show, the uh, star show Spartacus. Starring, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Starring yeah, Lucy Lawless. That. Who is a goddess. Yeah. So <laughs> all of those shows actually uh, feature very strong female characters. You know, Xena.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Xena's a Friggin' badass. Yeah. And there's also a lot of sex in his shows. We're gonna exclude Spartacus for this part of the conversation. There's a lot of sex in those shows and they're not gross sex scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, there are scenes where, like, Richard and Kaelin straight up go at it. It's not Gross. It's a sex scene. But I know it's what you not, mean. It's
1: really hard to explain
0: though. Yeah, it's like not overly sexualized though. It's, yeah. It's,
1: like as weird as it sounds. I feel like a lot of the times when people are intimate in the sh- in this show, it's a healthy depiction of sexuality. Instead yes. of like gratuitous or somebody being shamed for it or something. Mm-hmm. In Spartacus, because it's a star show, mm. there's a lot of tits. Anyway, one of the Other things that I wish had had more time given to it, although I understand why it wasn't, uh, was Kara's development. Because I feel like a lot of that happens without drawing a lot of attention to it until all of a sudden it's like, hey, she cares. Like, she has a, um, a love interest for a couple episodes. And that wasn't earned. For me, I don't think. I love her and she's an angel and she's my daughter and I want her to be happy. And when she smiles, the sun comes out. But it seems to happen really quickly. Mm-hmm. But do you know what is the most important thing in the whole world? What? Caitlin and Kara's friendship. Which I'm really glad that you
0: enjoyed and appreciated because yeah. I was really excited for you to get to that point. It's of the show. hard
1: not to. I mean, I, I gave birth to both of them and, um, and I, I think it's so great that I would say the relationship of Kara's that is given the most attention and time is her friendship with Kaylin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than her relationship with with Richard, which mm-hmm. is
0: interesting because allegedly the whole reason she joined the group was for Richard, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Kaylin and Kara uh, have to go through a lot of development together. Yeah. You know, when Kara was acting under the orders of Dark and Rawl, she basically slaughtered the rest of the known confessors.
1: And murdered Kaelin's sister. Yes. So... That's something that they have to deal with. That was a Mm -hmm. big episode for me that I, like, I think that was when Kara became my daughter. Really? (laughs) I think so. I texted you that I was crying. Kaylin, this is, like, it's so hard for her. She loved her sister. Like, her sister was a character in the show in season one that we saw a few times. And Mm -hmm. um, they were all each other had, really. And um, she has to, like, wrestle with the fact that this journeying companion who is with them murdered her sister. And, Mm -hmm. like, she almost kills Kara over it.
0: Yeah, and not only murdered her sister, but nearly decimated her entire, I don't want to call it a race. They they call it a race. I think they refer to
1: the confessors as a race once or twice.
0: Okay, well then, you know, completely decimated her race, you Mm -hmm. know? Confessors are extremely rare because... People keep killing them. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, how many confessors do we see
1: die on and off
0: screen in the show? Yeah.
1: All of them. Basically. Literally all of them. <laughs> yeah. But in the in the episode where that's revealed, Kara, like, that's a huge piece of development for her because like Mord Sith are taught not to feel anything, not mm-hmm. to have any compassion, not to form bonds or whatever. Like they are supposed to be completely cold. And, you know, they're actually kind of an interesting subversion of, like, the, quote, strong female character trope.
0: Yeah, they are, because they're expected to be feminine in
1: appearance and sexuality. And sexual. Yeah, and badass and strong and be able to withstand all sorts of punishment mm-hmm. and also emotionless and cold. yeah. And that's supposed to, like, make them strong and cool and whatever.
0: And also, they literally take all their orders from a man.
1: Yeah. Uh, But this show you know that's that's painted in a bad light like having you know emotions and compassion is a source of strength for all the characters and that's like very overt in mm-hmm. like at one point like Zed literally says that to Kara when she like hesitates to like kill someone so yeah so in this episode where it's revealed that Kara killed Kaylin's sister god it's hard to watch where like she she kind of like has this revelation and she feels so bad and it's like some of her like moored Sith walls come down and it's heartbreaking and then from there, and from her, like, regret, Kaylin and her are are able to form a friendship, which is, like, so important. And so important to me that they took the time to grow a friendship between Kaylin and Kara, a confessor and a Mordza. And two female characters at all.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad that they developed a true friendship. You know, I, I we don't see enough of that. I really want to talk about the confessors a Mm -hmm. little more yeah so we've mentioned before that they are a group of all women but that's not entirely just nature (sighs) yes yes we need to talk about this shit you're right so confessors are very unlikely to give birth to a boy
1: it's something like i don't know if it's like 999 out of 100 or if it's something like one in a million
0: yeah i think (laughs) it's somewhere in
1: between the two (laughs) yeah yeah But the vast majority of confessors born are born female.
0: Yes. Every child that a confessor gives birth to will be a confessor. Yeah. That's how their powers are passed down. If a male confessor is born, they have a ceremony where they kill it. Yeah. And that's not just because they're like, we hate men. Um, Yeah. (laughs) it's, It's because history has taught them that. It is impossible for a male confessor to not be
1: evil. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The first episode when we learn this, Kaylin's sister is pregnant Mm -hmm. and she gives birth to a boy and everybody's like, oh no. And, uh, you know, they they need to perform this ceremony where they kill the child. Richard, the main character, knowing nothing of magic (laughs) or confessors, is like, hey, no, you can't kill a baby. Mm -hmm. And that episode is about him trying to save the life of this infant and
0: because of the circumstances um this huge war and the fact that there are so few confessors left he convinces kaylin Mm -hmm. you know um it it resonates with her that not only is this her nephew but there just aren't enough confessors left and it's a baby and it's a baby but like you know it just it seems like maybe circumstances have changed and they think that they should keep the baby alive
1: now, so uh, here's here's what happened to me. <laughs> I'm no baby killer. <laughs> I am. no <laughs> Kidding, kidding. <Yeah. laughs> it was difficult when I watched the show, when I watched this episode, and I have no reason to believe that they are not right in that all male confessors go crazy and, you know.
0: We'll take over the world if, <laughs> if, if, if given the opportunity. Yeah, like...
1: <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's really hard to be on the side of the confessors who want to kill the baby and then have the resolution of the episode be, Oh, we found a way that the baby can grow up and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And like I was I was uncomfortable with the idea that because that was the way the episode resolved, that the messaging of the episode was basically hashtag not all men. Like Mm -hmm. like look at these women who want to kill this child just because it's a man. They're wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was I was very uncomfortable with the idea that that was the messaging of that episode. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, is it, like, mid-season one or something? Yeah. So, like, I don't know that I had decided once and for all that the show was very feminist yet. And th- and that's 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 the episode. They're not proven wrong or right in that episode. It, the resolution is just that the child gets to live. So I struggled with that a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, we actually had a small conversation about it, even though we usually try to stay away from topics that we're going to talk about on the podcast. Uh, We had a small conversation about it because I was like, no, I wasn't like staying up uh, late, like tossing and turning about it, but I was kind of upset by it. Mm -hmm. It just made me like a little uncomfortable. (laughs) That that episode was kind of a hashtag not all men episode. Or so it seemed at the time. But one of the most interesting things that happens in the entire show is the season one finale. Mm -hmm. Kaylin's part of the season one finale is this whole alternate universe where she, for reasons we're not going to go into, has to marry and have a child with Lord Rawl to save Richard.
0: Yeah. Dargon Rawl is obsessed with confessors and their powers because mm-hmm. what he wants is to control everyone in the world. Right. And confessors technically have that power. Yeah. And he, he makes several attempts throughout the show to either harness confessor powers. He, he wants to be a confessor and yeah. he
1: can't. So he decides he will have a child. <laughs> so in order to save Richard, she has to have a child with him. Mm-hmm. It makes sense in the show kind of mostly (laughs) no it does yeah (laughs) Yeah, i mean it does it's just magic so in this alternate universe she has a child with dark and Mm raw he does something magically to ensure that the child born will be a male Mm -hmm. and it is and kaylin is horrified because she was not expecting it yeah because it's it's supposed to be, like, once every so many years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And only, like, last year, her sister had a boy. Yeah. So Dark and Rawl did something. Because he wanted a male confessor. Because he knows that they are famous for their ruthlessness and lack of compassion. Mm-hmm. So the child born is a boy. And Kalen wants to kill it at first. And Rall's like, no. And he kind of Rosemary's Babies her into like, mm-hmm. hey, it's your baby. Don't you he needs his mother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and she's like, maybe it'll be okay. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like straight up Rosemary's baby. And she tries. Yeah. She oh my god. She has this like really cool like nursemaid mm-hmm. who's like on her side and is great. And um and they try really hard to raise the child as a a compassionate, good person
0: there's actually a really heartbreaking scene where they're like watching the kid and they're like oh look he's sharing his toys Mm -hmm. and then a second later they find out that he confessed his friend that he shared his toy with and made him chop off his finger
1: yeah and and caitlin's like horrified and the kid and the kid just like looks up at her and is like what's wrong mom yeah like (laughs) completely you know and they 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 really thought they were like, do it it's it's working, it's working, my influence mm-hmm. is rubbing off on him, it's working. And then it's just like, holy shit. Like mm-hmm. so it kind of made me feel a little bit better about that one episode. And like Well, it goes on from there. Yeah, it does. Yeah. He- I mean he he kills Kaelin. And, and Rawl, and which yeah.
0: <laughs> Moron. You, you I know, idiot. I know. And, but he then literally
1: confesses everybody. And becomes like the Lord and like, yeah. Yeah. He takes over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully that was an alternate universe of yeah. which there are like five in this show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you felt that the show's inclusion of Kalen's son kind of helped ease your concerns with the show's handling of male confessors?
1: Yes. Yeah, totally. You could argue that he was evil because he was a Rawl, but mm-hmm. so is Richard. Yeah. Richard and Dark and Rawl share the same father, mm-hmm. who was also kind of a tyrant, mm-hmm. not as bad as Dark and Rawl. So, I don't think that that argument holds up, especially considering the influence. Kaylin had on him. Yeah, totally. You know, I
0: don't. I don't know if Dark and Rawl really had much presence.
1: Yeah, I don't see him being a hands-on dad.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did want to bring up Kaylin's father a little bit because I that was hard for me. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of goes back to what we were saying about how men tend to fear confessors. Yes. It does seem like confessors are more likely to target men. Yeah, I did think that was really interesting.
1: Because the confessed are basically in love with the confessor. Mm -hmm. And so I did always think it was kind of weird that the men were usually targeted. In fairness, they usually confess bad people. and Not that women can't be like bad people and thieves or whatever. But they also, when they take a mate, they take someone who has already confessed?
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to go into. Yeah, yeah. So confessors, it's kind of their, like, sacred duty to continue the order of confessors. Mm -hmm. And when a confessor is... And they're not
1: all good at it. No. Like, some of them are not great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So when confessors are in the throes of passion, they can't control their powers. So it is their moral responsibility...
1: I'm really sorry. I just remembered, I kind of stopped thinking about this, but in season one, I was really obsessed with whether in order for the confessor power to overwhelm them, if they had to bone to completion. (laughs) (laughs) Because remember in that our, our one of our romance episodes when I mentioned that I wasn't a fan of Angel and Buffy mm-hmm. and the like magical force that keeps them apart and mm-hmm. how if he experiences one moment of true happiness which is when he comes <sighs> apparently he loses his soul so they can't bone at least not to completion anyway that's like the that's the idea right yeah i i yeah. was like i was obsessed with whether or not <laughs> It was just something I thought about way too much in the first episode <laughs> of this show because I just I thought it was so funny for some reason. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. Okay. So, um,
0: a confessor will lose control of her power and mm-hmm. so it is therefore her moral responsibility mm-hmm. in continuing her line to choose for her mate a man who is already confessed but also who has the traits that she wants to see in future confessors. Mm-hmm. So, Kaylin's father wasn't a good person, but when he was confessed, you know, he was... A suitable mate. A suitable mate and subservient to her mother while her mother dies. Mm -hmm. And Kaylin and her sister, who are very young children, Mm -hmm. are left with their
1: terrible father. And their confessor powers.
0: Yeah. And he uses them to confess people and their children. Yeah. They're little girls. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah, I
1: was... uh, That episode was tough for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I thought the episode was really interesting because it treated the topic sensitively. And I feel like it didn't come down on one side or another. Mm -hmm. Because this guy who wasn't a good guy (laughs) was still, like, a person... Mm-hmm. and you know like he's like he says like he lost years of his life when he was confessed and like that was against it was against his will and he was afraid of his daughters mm-hmm. because they could confess him mm-hmm. so while i get that i'm just i'm not on on board with like he he controlled them mm-hmm. he made them use their powers to do bad things when they were very little. And that is so not okay. And Kaylin is obviously super fucked up over it. And so, like, someone like that... I wasn't the most on board with, like, humanizing him or, like, you know, making it be, like... But he was... He was a victim, too. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I... Like, I, like, no, he... He was a bad person, and that's why he was confessed. Mm -hmm. And then he was a super shit dad. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, Like, don't don't tell me that he loves her, really.
0: As you said, I don't think the show necessarily did that. I think... No. I think at the end he attempted to repent. Yeah. But I'm really interested in the idea that confessors have a moral obligation to... Continue their line, yeah, and to do so with a man who has already confessed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that that kind of goes along with the Belladonna whore dynamic yeah. in the show. So we kind of discuss the whole Belladonna whore thing. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's super interesting about the show is that all of the confessors are not good. Some of them are very bad. Yeah, there's one confessor, for example, who. Confesses an entire village of people, including <laughs> children, because she doesn't want them to be afraid. And if she confesses them, she can say, "Don't be afraid."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, like misguided use of power. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous magic. Yeah, it, it is. You mm-hmm. know, and there's, there's a reason why confessors like they have to be taught and trained to, to use their magic like well. And I wish we got to see more of that kind of like confessor culture, because it's really interesting to me. And, it is super um, interesting. We only really get
0: to see other confessors a couple other times. So, I think that's really interesting, because on the flip side, you have the Mord Sith, who are supposed to be the whores, mm-hmm. and not all of them are, you know,
1: no, terrible yeah.
0: people. Like, there's Kara, but then I think we also, you know, see a softer side to Denna, even.
1: Yeah, Denna's a character who's a Mord Sith in season one, and um, she comes back a couple times, and at one point, after Lord Rawl is dead, and a lot of the Sith don't know what to do, because their master's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, she's out for herself, but she, it's, it's like she thinks that there's no, no redemption for her, which Kara feels a little bit too, but I felt like it was done more concisely and obviously with Denna, where she, you know, she's like, this is already who I am. Mm-hmm. I can't go back to being, like, a normal person, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, I had no love for Denna, but it was, like, really sad, actually.
0: yeah. I've always had a strong interest in storylines where people are kind of put into a box and told this is what you are. Oh
1: my god, me too. I think that's how they got me to love Kara so much. Really? Yeah. Uh, And that's
0: one thing that's super interesting about this show is that it deals with, you know, identity and people's expectations of you versus who you are a lot. Mm -hmm. Especially with the confessors, you know. Caitlyn is under a tremendous moral obligation, With her powers, as we said, they're extremely powerful, and with great power comes great responsibility and all that, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if she confesses a person, she has to deal with the fact that they are going to be subservient to her and her alone.
1: For as long as
0: she lives. Yeah, you know? I
1: mean, it's scary. And she takes it really seriously. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you'll see her confess someone and, like you know kara or someone will want to like kill him Mm -hmm. usually a man or if it's like a thief or whoever it is like she she's she says to them because she has the power to order them to do whatever she wants go home find honest work live a good life like she she takes the power really seriously but it is hard to imagine that every confessor feels the same way Mm Rachel, it's it's really good to have you back with me for the intro and outro because I was lost last, not last week, two weeks ago. I think you did a good job, though. I, I, I chuckled a bit. Aw, thanks. <laughs>
0: I need the validation. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Legend of the Seeker. I'm really interested to know if any of our listeners can um, alert us to any other high fantasy television shows
1: that we didn't mention in the episode. Yeah, I, give us recommendations. We, this genre and this kind of, this kind of thing. And even if it's cheesy, you know, sometimes that's a great thing. Absolutely.
0: So if you'd like to reach out to us to correct us on our um, misinformation, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter.
1: That's OptiOT, O-P-T-I-O-T, or on Instagram at Pod. And you can also find us on our website at dot com. Yeah, so there you have it. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. Oh, jinx.
0: <laughs> okay, I think that's good. Okay.
1: bye everybody. Bye. Bye, motorcycle. Very
0: loud motorcycle. We're recording. Word, bye. You've got to watch Lost in Space. I'm
1: so excited. <laughs> I had to finish this show.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> um, that robot, though this awful show that i would not recommend to anyone called the chronicles of Shannara. um should we watch it for the podcast (laughs) oh my god no (laughs) i mean maybe we should for the podcast but i like (laughs) what was i just gonna say fuck (laughs) what is with sam raimi and his like badass
1: heroines having secret babies i don't know he was also behind the original uh, spider-man trilogy (laughs) (laughs) was he yeah I like those movies. You know what? Whatever. I never saw the third one, but.
0: Explains the campiness. Yes.
1: That, That was an unenthusiastic yes.